<clears throat> Let me uh, pray for us and then we'll get in, we'll get going. Father, we come to you today. We thank you, Lord, for this day. What a beautiful day it is and the opportunity to gather together as your body, Lord, to celebrate what you have done in our lives, Lord, what you have uh, done on our behalf and the privilege we have to gather together week in and week out, Lord, to uh, hear your word taught, to spend time praying and fellowshipping and and, and being with the body of Christ, we, we thank you for that privilege. And Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, we pray that you will help us as we uh, look into your word and begin looking at what your word has to say about conflict. And Father, um, we thank you for what you have given us. We thank you, Lord God, that you have given all we need to be able to... Um, to work through conflicts in a way that honors you. And Lord, we, uh, we just pray for your help in this time. I pray that you would help me uh, to speak. And I, I just pray that this time is honoring to you, but it's helpful to those that are here and those that may listen later. We thank you, Lord, for the time again. And it's in Christ's name. Amen. Plenty of seats up front. So I trust you're having a good day. Everybody having a good day? Anybody here? <laughs> okay. So I like to, you know, I'll throw a lot, I'll be lobbing questions at you throughout the morning and throughout the next couple of Sundays. So when I lob out a question, it's perfectly okay to respond. Perfectly okay to give an answer. Okay. So we want to have a little bit of that give and take kind of a thing. It's not like, you know, the message on Sunday morning where we're to sit and listen reverently and, you know, take good notes. We want to interact and take notes and listen to, but uh, it's more of an interactive time. And then we hope to get to have enough time at the end to just have some discussion amongst the tables that you're at. A few questions at the, on the last page of your notes. Speaking of the notes, there are some things in there. I like to put things in your notes for you to take with you and use later. So keep, hang on to those notes. One of those things in particular is a diagram called the slippery slope. And we'll get to that at some point um, to this morning. But I'm, uh, it's my hope that this time is useful. You'll, you'll get some tools that you can take with you and use those as you need them. So that's the, that's the thing with the notes. Um, this morning, you know, we're talking about the, the subject of conflict. I know you're very excited about that. We're all very excited about conflict, right? No, I think, in fact, we do not like conflict. We do not like it at all. <clears throat> Although I'm excited to be here with you this morning, I'm not excited about conflict. I don't like conflict. I try to avoid conflict and, and do what I can to to not be in conflict, but for some reason it seems to find me from time to time. Does anybody have that experience? Now, just this morning, I got here a little bit early to print out some sheets and a young man stopped by and knocked on my office door. And he knocked on my door and he, and he came in and he, and he said, I just would like you to pray for somebody I know. 
And he proceeded to tell me a story about this lady that he works with and, and the things that are going on with her where she's working and things that are going on in her life. And, and she's going through a horrible, horrible divorce. She's married to the pers- a person that's not a, not a believer. And it's a terrible thing. The, the, the kids are in the middle of it. It's, ca- it's ruined her financially. It's ruined her physically. She's having effects all because of conflict and the way that, that, is, that she's been dealing with that in, in her life. Um, and I, I thought that was interesting that just even this morning as we're sitting here, this rears its ugly head. <clears throat> so I'm not excited about conflict. I, I don't know. Are you? If you just said, yeah, then you need to come talk to me here in a little bit. Um, who am I? I I'm sorry. I'm, my name is Josh Stanley. I'm the church's administrator. I should have started there. Um, but also I'm the director of biblical counseling here at the church. And I do lots of, of counseling. My wife and I counsel folks a lot. And, and we're working with a, a wonderful group of people here at the church uh, to raise up more counselors um, for that. Um, so <clears throat> it's a privilege to, to serve here. It's a privilege to be here this morning. Um, and I don't, I, I realize that at times we're going to bring things up that might be painful for you. Um, I'm going to bring some things up that are probably painful for me in that, in that process. And, and this, unfortunately, is a product of the fall. And please understand, my intention is not to single you out in any way, but to come alongside and help. So if I cause pain by things I might say, I'm, so, I'm truly sorry about that. I would love to talk about that with you if, if you desire to. <clears throat> Most people avoid conflict at all costs. And sometimes that is to their own detriment. They try to run away from it or just ignore it. No one is immune to conflict. We should expect conflict in this life because... We are all fallen creatures and we are all sinful. But thankfully, God has provided a great help to us in his word. <clears throat> when we find ourselves in conflict, what do we do? How do we respond? Give me some, 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 some feedback. When you find yourself in a conflict or someone finds themselves in a conflict, how do they usually respond? I'm sorry? Anger. Anger. Okay. What else? Shut down. down. Okay. Become defensive. Yeah. Yeah. Fight back. Fight back. Retaliate. Yeah. Anything else? Cry. Cry. Sure. Yeah. Anything else? No, it's probably uncommon, but try to fix it. Yeah, no, that's the right response. We try to fix it. And sometimes we may go about that in right ways. And sometimes we may go about that in wrong ways. That's very true. That's good. Yeah. I'm sorry? Okay, yeah, we might respond in a wrong way verbally. Yeah, for sure. What about getting depressed? What about running away? 
<clears throat> what about internalizing everything? Or just ignoring what's going on? So, so basically just to take things and just kind of stuff them. And just kind of make sure that or you may, might think that it's, it is all, all your fault. Just, just, just to absorb it and absorb it and absorb it. Um, but I, I want to encourage all of you this morning to, to think about situations of, of conflict. And I want to encourage you to do a very important thing first. And I want you to ask a very specific question. When you realize you are in a conflict, that conflict is is unexpectedly upon you, or maybe it is expectedly upon you, I want you to ask a very, very important question. What does God want? I want you to pause when you realize, when you come to the realization, this is a conflict, and I want you to pause, and I want you to reach out to the Lord and pray and ask, Lord, what do you want here? And this is crucial for us in conflict. <clears throat> in any conflict, the first step we should always do is to turn to the Lord. So what does the Lord want for you as you are in conflict? I'm glad you asked that question. Very glad you asked that. You should have your notes there. And God wants you to know that you are called to peace. You are called to peace. The second part of 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15 says, God has called us to peace. It is one thing to know how to respond to conflict biblically, but it is better to know that we are called to peace and have been given the gift of grace and the spirit as a preventative against conflict. The believer's life, though not immune to conflict, should be characterized by permeating peace. Peace that should rule rather than be an exception among his people. The Apostle Paul addresses um, the spiritual resource of peace some 46 times in the books that he wrote. Hebrews talks about it four times. James talks about it three times. Peter talks about it five times. Biblical peace has at least three dimensions that should be characteristics of every biblical peacemaker. You can see there in your notes, the vertical dimension, which is the peace with God, the internal dimension, which is the peace of God, and the horizontal dimension, which is the peace with people. There's the vertical dimension, which is peace with God, the internal dimension, which is the peace of God, and then there's the horizontal dimension, which is the peace with people. So let's take a few minutes and look at those things. Firstly, the vertical aspect of our peace with God. 
Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a judicial pronouncement. The language, it is a judicial. In other words, we've been declared, but we, God has declared us at peace with Him. Because of what Christ has done, we are no longer at odds with God. Does that make sense? We are no longer warring against God. We are no longer His enemies. We are at peace with Him. Our greatest need is that to be at peace with God. That is everyone's greatest need. And that's something to remember when conflict rears its head. You know, there's much language. Romans 15, 33 talks about that the God calls God the God of peace. May the God of peace be with you all. And 16 verse 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He's not just, we're not just at peace, but he is near us and he is the God of peace. Before we could not be close to him, but now we are. And that proximity that we now enjoy, that now we now benefit from, is the first thing to remember when you're thinking about that we've been called to peace. There's also an internal peace. Romans 8, verse 6 says, for, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You know, we don't think about the things that we did before. This is a, a, a encouragement to no longer dwell on the things of the flesh, but to dwell on the things of the spirit. Because of what Christ has done, we can do that now. And we are, we are called to have that kind of peace inside of us. And as we dwell on the Spirit, peace is one of those products that comes because of it. Galatians 5.22, as we're talking about the Spirit, talks about the fruits of the Spirit. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, yeah, gentleness, and self-control. Yes, Absolutely. Peace is one of the things that the Holy Spirit creates in us. Because we have the Holy Spirit, it creates these things in us. Love, joy, and peace is one of those things. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The verse 6 before that says, Don't be anxious, but in Everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds. What is the peace of God like? It's beyond our understanding, right? It's perfect. We have his perfect peace when we don't be when we are not anxious about something, but when we take these things to him in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
We take these things to him and he promises us peace. And it's not just for that situation itself, but it talks about that it's a guard. It guards our minds and it guards our hearts in Christ. God's peace guards our minds and our hearts. That's fascinating. That's encouraging. That's helpful. Colossians 3 verse 15 says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. We're to be ruled by peace. The idea of ruling is that it is what is telling us what to do. It is what we are following. So we are to be ruled in our hearts. That the peace of God is to rule in us. We're also to have horizontal peace. Now there are, this talks about being at peace with people that are not believers or people that are outside of the church. And it talks about peace, having peace with folks that are inside the church, that are believers. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 11 says, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Hebrews 12, 14 says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Among believers ourselves, some of these verses still apply. Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We are to pursue what makes for peace and and pursue what builds people up. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Ephesians 4.3 talks about an attitude that we're supposed to have. We're to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So I want to look at for a little bit more and spend a little bit more time looking at what does a heart that is ruled by peace look like? Some Colossians 3.15. Would somebody read that? Some of you be willing to read Colossians 3.15. Go ahead. Read it loud. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And that's the NASB? Uh, ESV. ESV, okay. So listen to it in a couple other translations too. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. That's the King James. And that the peace of Christ rule in your heart since, a, since as members of one body, you are called to peace and to be thankful. The idea is that, <clears throat> that we are called to be at peace. The action of a peacemaker I'm going to try to pronounce the Greek. I've been practicing it all week and I'm probably going to say it wrong, but I'm going to try. 
It's Aaron Ponio. Okay. Peace, the Aaron is peace to Poio to make. We are to make peace. We are to be peacemakers. Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers. That's an action. We are to make peace, but we're also to have the attitude of peace as a state of being and as, as a blessing of our salvation. Colossians 3.15 also says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The word rule is as present, indicative, active. Anybody know what that is? I had to look it up. It's been a while since I've studied that. It's a present, indicative, active. It's an ongoing, continuous action. To let it rule in us is an ongoing thing. We don't come to the end of that. The rule implies to act as an umpire or a, or a judge. Peace ought to be the deciding factor when deciding all matters in the heart of believers. To submit ourselves to the governing of the peace of God, that is God's being at peace with you and the comfortable sense of his acceptance and favor or a disposition of peace among yourselves, a peaceable spirit. That is the attitude that we are to have, a peaceable spirit. We are called to peace, and it should rule in us and make us peacemakers. Now I want to shift gears and talk about and and start to focus on conflict. And we want to focus on our responses to conflict. We want to focus on our responses to conflict. First of all, let's get a definition. What is conflict? What are we talking about? What is an idea? What do you get? What is conflict? Okay, a disagreement. Sure. When two opposing parties can't both get their way. Okay. Yeah. Let me give you a definition here. It's a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. A difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. In a fallen world, conflict is inevitable and would, should be expected. And there's a list of passages down there. You can look up those for the sake of time. We're not going to jump into those. But to understand, too, that true wisdom has a gentle component to it. Notice, you know, in, in Ephesians, as we've been talking about that, that we're to go and, and, and speak the truth to each other with what? With love. That implies that we're to go to them with a tender heart in a tender way. So there, so there is an aspect of gentleness or a component of gentleness, gentleness and wisdom. And if what we are going to say is stirring people up, it's probably not the right thing. Does that make sense? So what causes conflict? Firstly, misunderstandings. Misunderstandings. 
Acts 15, verse 22 through 29, where this passage speaks about misunderstandings within the church in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. They were confused about certain teachings, so the apostles sent others folks to help them understand it. So there's misunderstandings as a cause of conflict. Differences in values, goals, calling, priorities, expectations, interests, or opinions. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 12-31, it talks about the the body of Christ and it has many members and many gifts and many abilities. And sometimes differences can cause conflicts. They are doing it the way we've never done it before. Would be maybe a way to think about it. Competition over limited resources. Genesis 13, 1 through 12 talks about Abraham and Lot. They got, they were, the Lord was blessing them to the point where they were too big for the area where they were. They couldn't stay together, so they divided. There was too much competition for the resources of the region that they were in, so they, they had to split up. So competition over resources is another. And the last one, sinful attitudes and desires that lead to sinful words and actions. James 4, 1 through 3. I'd like you guys to turn there to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Will somebody be willing to read that? Good. Thank you for reading that. So we want to focus in on this passage a little bit because it it tells us a lot. We've just just seen that your desires can cause conflict. Now, are desires, all desires bad? No, I desire for my children to know the Lord. Is that a bad, capitalizing on the message this morning that you just heard, is that a bad desire? No, it's not. It's not. Um, I desire to have lunch here in a little while. Is that a bad desire? Well, it could be. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) You know, a desire doesn't, it's not necessarily a bad thing. When it becomes a demand, it is a bad thing. A desire that transforms and crosses the line over to a demand. I'm not just desiring something. I'm demanding that you do X, Y, and Z because that's what I desire from you. That's not a good thing. That's not right. We could also call that a lust. Lusts are strong desires and the source of them according to scripture, is the heart. And if we take the time to really understand this term, 
will have a biblically accurate view of why we have conflict and why we deal with them the way that we do. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that you that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. The things that we desire, we're willing to fight and quarrel, be at war over. Rather than doing what we're supposed to and ask with right motives. This all comes out of our hearts. The general use of the term of the heart, that there are over 1,000 references to the heart in the Bible. We're not going to go through all of them. I promise. It would take almost three years studying a verse on the heart a day to get a complete picture of what Scripture says about his, this important subject. If you took one verse a day, it'd take you three years to go through all of them. Proverbs 4.23 is a very important verse for us. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Out of our hearts spring the issues of life. Therefore, we are to keep it or guard it or protect it with all diligence. In other words, we are to work hard at it. Don't let your guard down. Keep your guard up around your heart. Matthew 12, 34 says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A lot of times the way to know what your heart is desiring is listen to your words. Listen to the things you are saying because you speak out of your heart. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. And our heart has a controlling factor over what we do. So what comes out of our heart? According to Mark 7, 20 through 22, a lot of bad stuff. All the things that we don't want to do, those are, that's what comes out of our hearts. There's a big long list there. Evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, murder, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, evil eyes, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Did you get all those? I said them too fast, I'm sorry. A lot of awful things come out of our hearts. So why are we this way? Why are we this way? Jeremiah 17, 9 says that our hearts are deceitful above all things. They are desperately wicked. Our hearts or our inner man has been deeply impacted by our sinfulness. And we have a bend to us. You ever seen a, a, a tree that grows up in a, windy, in a windy place? Does it grow up straight and true and, and, and like just like you could put a plum up next to it? And it would be absolutely perfectly straight. No, usually not. Usually it's bent the direction that the wind blows predominantly. 
That's a picture of what our hearts are like because we are sinful people. Our inner man has been deeply impacted by sin and our hearts is now bent towards these things. I'm talking about our our innate depravity. The heart is our inner person that has wants and it has desires. Another illustration that people use is it's an engine room that drives you in the direction that that drives your life in the direction your heart wants to go. The heart is all that, that we are on the inside. It's our emotions. Our emotions reflect our hearts. Our thoughts reflect our hearts. My passions reflect my heart. My words reveal my heart. It's all these inner things that we are. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is discerning of thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word can discern our thoughts and intentions. In other words, our motives. God's word reveals that our hearts have thoughts and intentions. When it all gets boiled down, we realize that it is things like success and control of our lives or others or pleasure or comfort. That those are the driving forces that are within our hearts. And these are the things that James 4 is talking about and is revealing to us. So understanding that we are called to peace and that we're not perfect in that peace or maintaining that peace, we understand that there is conflict in the world and in the church because we are fallen creatures. We're sinful and don't, we don't measure up to God's standards. We all have experienced conflict in one way or another. Some of us in this room may be in a conflict now. Um, in the midst of that. I'd like to look at the responses that we have to conflict. And Ken Sandy in his book, um, The Peacemaker, um, provided a, a good um, illustration or a, a chart of some, of some sort, I guess you could call it, that portrays our, our responses in a helpful way. And he calls it the slippery slope. And you have that there in your notes. I hope you can read it. I can't read it without my glasses, but it's a little small, unfortunately. So how do we respond to conflict? So as you look at this diagram, it's clear there's three sections, okay? There's a section to the left called escape responses. There's a section to the right called attacking responses. And then there is conciliation responses at the top. The green is where we want to be. Those are right responses to conflict. Okay, We want to stay on the top of the slope. We want to stay upward in our minds and thinking when it comes to conflict. We don't want to slide off to the left or to the right. Okay, We don't want to have an escaping response 
or an attacking response when it comes to conflict. So let's take a look at these real quick. So looking at the escaping responses. So there are, are different degrees within each of these sections. The three responses found on the left side of the curve are directed at getting away from the conflict situation rather than resolving it. Okay, that's an escaping response. I don't want to deal with this, so I'm going to do what I can to get away from it in some way. They are kind of peace faking responses. Now, you see what I did there? Peace making, peace faking. Well, sorry, that was way funnier in my head, apparently. So people are faking like think everything's okay, but they're just getting away from it, right? They're ignoring it. They're avoiding it in some way. So you think about what's the hard issue here? The hard issue is that they're trying to control it or they're afraid. You can take the, the idea of fear, the fear of man is involved there. So what are these responses? Well, first there's denial. Pretending that the conflict does not exist or refusing to do what you should to resolve it properly. This is always a wrong response to conflict. Always a wrong response. There's the flight where it's running away. You just run away from uh, the person in whom you have a conflict. You avoid them. You go down a different aisle so that you don't have to bump into this person. You avoid them at all costs. It, it can be a legitimate response only when it is presently impossible to resolve the conflict in a constructive manner. In other words, if you're going to get in a fight or something like that, you probably should avoid them so that you can work through the problem. And ultimately, at the, the, the far end of it is suicide, where you ultimately can take yourself away from the, the problem so that you don't have to deal with it. This is obviously a wrong response. So let's flip all the way over to the, to the right side, the other side, the attacking response. And I would say a lot of times this is very, a very common response. These three responses found on the right side of the curve are directed at bringing as much pressure to bear on the opponents as is necessary to defeat their claims and eliminate their opposition. The object of an attacking response is to win. So when you think about it, when you have a conversation with someone, when does a conversation become an argument? When it crosses the line and becomes something that you must win. An argument is something that you win. It, it stops being a conversation. The heart issue here is definitely of control, one of control. You're trying to control the situation. You're going to control this person by putting as much pressure, by making war against this person. So what are the responses? Litigation, taking them to court. It's a matter that's taken to civil authorities for a decision. Um, the next one is assault, where you physically can physically get involved with the person by hitting them, 
<coughs> fighting them, throwing something at them. That's verbal. This is arguing, fighting, cursing, things like that. Financial. You can financially try to hurt someone by removing finances from them that they're depending on, not helping, those types of things. It's to compel an opponent to give in to your demands. I'm going to win is the mindset. And then ultimately you look at the, the, the drastic end of that, what that could get to is actual murder or taking that person's life. So now let's talk about right responses or where we want to be. The conciliation responses or the work it out responses, what you could call it. These are all found up at the top. And six responses found along the top portion of this, this diagram. It's, it's, it's a mutually agreeable solution to conflict. That's important to remember. It's a mutually agreeable solution. That's what you're going for. <clears throat> so there you can divide this up into two further sections, personal peacemaking responses and assisted responses. In other words, situations where you go to them specifically yourself and other times it's necessary to bring someone in to help. And we'll look here and you'll see what scripture has to say about these things. The first thing when an offense takes place is to overlook an offense. There's a list of verses there. And again, for the sake of time, we won't go through those. You can look those up on your own. One person deliberately and, and, and <clears throat> unilaterally decides to forgive a wrong and walk away from a conflict. This is someone who puts, puts up with a lot. This is someone who... Um, has small toes. This is a person that's long-suffering. This is a person that has tolerance, forbearance, forgiveness, and mercy. To overlook an offense. Second one is discussion. Matthew 18 talks a lot about that, that we are to go to our brothers. If there's an offense against us, we are to go to them. And the idea is to go to them to talk about what is going on. Personal offenses are resolved through confession or a confrontation leading to forgiveness and reconciliation. Ideally, if we cannot overlook, we are to go to them and discuss it with them. And Lord willing, we win our brother over, if that makes sense. Next one is negotiation. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. And substance issues are resolved through a bargaining process in which the parties seek to reach a mutual agreement or settlement of their differences through an exchange of promises. So you work through the situation. Sometimes this does not work. And sometimes, as you see in Matthew 18, if you go on in verse 16, you need to bring somebody with you. If they don't listen to you, bring someone with you. So now we're talking into mediation. As one or two people, uh, others go with the party to uh, improve communication and facilitate a resolution. Mediators can only suggest solutions and have no power 
to impose a solution. So you're bringing a neutral party to help you work through the situation. Arbitration, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8, is when the parties cannot come to a, a voluntary solution. They explain the matter to one, uh, to one or more arbitrators who are empowered to render a binding decision on the matter. And then we have church discipline. Again, from Matthew 18, when a Christian party refuses to do what is right and just, the church formally intervenes to promote repentance and reconciliation. So those are the... That's the slippery slope, okay? This is something to think through, work through as you, um, as you hang on to this um, and, 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 and use that. Uh, you'll see there too at the end, I have a few questions. I got through a little bit quicker than I thought I would. Um, we've got a few questions there for you guys to, uh, to discuss at your tables. And I could take you a few minutes to... Um, to do that, and then, but I'd like you really to spend some time praying for each other, praying for, um, uh, praying for the church, praying for folks that you may know that might be in a situation like this, but just really seeking the Lord in the midst of that, and and lifting them up to Him. Um, but also think about, you know, yourself and how you can apply these things and pray for each other as you do that. So let me, let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll do that. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that you've given to us to, um, uh, to be in your word today, to see what your word has to say uh, about conflict and about what you have called us to. Father, we thank you for that practical help that you've given to us. And God, I pray that we will all be peacemakers. We will all seek and strive to be peacemakers in our lives and to help others to do that as well. So Father, we thank you again for for this. And we just pray, Lord, that as we go from here, you'd be honored in all of us. And it's in Christ's name. Amen.